0: You are listening to Messy in the Middle, the show here to help you navigate the messy blend that is life and business today. I'm your host, Haley Johnson, and my guests and I are here to dish out all the hot takes, big wins, and seriously messy moments that come with being an entrepreneur. So grab another cup of coffee, you know you want to, and let's get into it. Right, Welcome back to Messy in the Middle. I am joined today by Amanda. Amanda, why don't you introduce yourself? And also, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Haley. I'm so excited about this. I just, I don't know. I feel like my life is always a mess, so this is great.
0: <laughs> um.
1: But for those that haven't met me, I'm Amanda Warfield. I'm a simplicity-focused content marketing strategist. Haley and I, I actually, I think, do the same thing, basically. Um, but I help entrepreneurs fit their marketing into their business without it taking over their business through done-for-you and done-with-you marketing strategy and copywriting.
0: That's awesome. And actually, I think what's super interesting is we don't do the same thing, but I think we're solving the same type of problem. I think like from what I could tell from your website, you really focus on helping people simplify their marketing, simplify their content, simplify their approach. And I really like to focus on simplifying the concepts of marketing without dumbing them down. Because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times when we talk about making marketing simple, we're just like, here's the list. Just do it, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We can understand these things. I promise. Here's the
1: bucket system that doesn't work at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then everyone just has all of these like weird generic terms for like actual marketing strategies. And it's like, um, who are we helping here?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So I guess before we get into kind of how you do what you do and the types of people you work with, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business story, your journey, kind of how did you get started in business in general, how did you get started in marketing and kind of take us through it.
1: Okay, perfect. It's funny because I feel like my business journey is messy and when i go on podcasts typically i never know what to say or how much to share because it is so messy so this feels like the perfect time to just be real with it
0: <laughs> yeah lay um, it out <laughs> so
1: i started well even before i started the business back in early like january february 2018 i kept getting this like nudge this calling to start a blog about simple living and i went to my husband and i was like i really I feel like I need to do this. And I was terrified because like at the time I was teaching preschool, he was in the Navy. We did not have extra funds to spare at all. And I knew that it was going to cost money. And it was like, mm-hmm. who am I to like have this hobby that maybe one day I'll turn into a business. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I went to school for early childhood education. I've got a master's in preschool studies. Like I know nothing about business, and. um, I went to him and was like, I really want to do this. I want to hopefully turn into a business. I don't know what I'm doing though. And he was like, that sounds great. Go for it. I was like, okay, (laughs) all all right, I'll do it then. Um, And so I spent like three or four months on the back end learning all I could and diving into everything, Pinterest and all the podcasts and everything, webinars, all the, all the education I could find um, and getting my website set up and then i spent about a year just kind of learning the ropes of marketing really in hindsight is what i was doing and i talked all about simple living and productivity and time management on my blog and then i launched a course about capsule wardrobes the next summer and that actually in hindsight did really well at the time not understanding marketing i thought it bombed <laughs> um but it it did well and I continued with that and then I ended up moving more into productivity and time management and then that evolved into productivity and time management for entrepreneurs and then that has evolved into the content and the content marketing side of things and now I've been doing marketing for about 3 years at this point um but it was definitely a very messy journey because when I started out I knew nothing about marketing I I didn't go to business school I didn't have an MBA I had no clue what I was doing really. And now here we are, what, six years later, I'm in year six, I guess. And I just wrote a book about marketing, literally.
0: Awesome. I would love to know. Well, so first of all, I feel like like 2018, early 2018 was like the golden age, I think, of Pinterest education and being able to get like your marketing MBA for free online. Because I know that's basically, I think like 2016 was when I got my first like marketing internship. And I didn't know anything about marketing because I was a sociology major. And I literally used Pinterest to learn everything in my job. And then when I graduated and needed work, I just kept learning stuff on Pinterest. And then I decided I was like, okay, well, there has to be more. And so I went and got a master's degree. And like, if I'm being honest, I learned just as much from Pinterest. But I don't feel like it works that way anymore. So I feel like as much as it's great to be like, oh, we were able to teach ourselves all of this. I don't think it's super actionable strategy for someone trying to get started now. Cause I think the landscape has changed. What do you think about that?
1: You know, this is actually something I think about a lot. So it's really funny that you bring it up. Also, I feel like off camera, we could talk a lot because my degree is actually in psychology and sociology okay. with a cognate in early childhood. Um, So we could have lots of fun conversations, but it's funny because I do think about this often. And I wonder if, if it's truly changed or if my attitude about education has changed because mm. now I'm so much more likely I would rather go get the full picture and pay someone. To so like,
0: mm-hmm. let me
1: take your course where you've given me the full picture and everything I need to know to do this skill or to learn this thing versus let me go to Pinterest and spend hours and hours and hours deep diving into all of these different things. And so I do wonder, has it changed or has my attitude about education changed? Because for me, it's faster and simpler to go to someone that I trust and go, here's my money. Tell me what I need to know,
0: you know? Uh, yeah time here. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both.
1: And it could be for sure. Cause again, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't use it for that as much anymore. If I'm just getting started in learning something brand new, yes, but I don't know. I just go to trusted people at this point that I've, I've picked up and collected in my circle, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And then something else I was also wondering as you were telling that story is you say you realize now that that capsule wardrobe thing did well, but at the time you thought it bombed. I'm wondering, like, what were your expectations and maybe what informed those expectations compared to the reality that you now realize, like, oh, that was successful?
1: Oh, yeah. So my expectations were definitely that I was going to, like, make, like, m- maybe not six figures, but I thought I was going to make, like, thousands of dollars for this course, right? And those expectations certainly came from this false belief. And I know – you're all about ethical marketing. So I'm sure you have a lot of things to say about this, but this false belief that's really pushed in our industry of um, passive income and make a ton of money. And if you, they don't say if you build it, they will come, but it's heavily implied that what you need to make good money is simply creating the course or creating the passive mm-hmm. quote unquote vehicle. And that's just not the case. You have to have the marketing. And that was what I was always missing. I was always missing. I would put together the sales emails and all of that stuff, but I was missing the piece of, you have to like bring people into your audience. If there's no one in your audience, who are you selling to? Right. And there was always- Yeah, like if
0: there's no one to read the emails, exactly. like it exactly. doesn't matter how well written they are. But
1: <laughs> that was definitely my my narrative and my belief of, well, mm-hmm. I have this course that I spent months creating and- that means that I people will buy it, right? Because it's out there and people can find it. Like that's not how SEO works or anything like that, but that's definitely what my expectation was at the time.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of like the age of how to make money blogging blog posts and courses that are like, create a blog, set up an affiliate link with a hosting platform, drive traffic to the affiliate link. And it's like, that's not how, like you actually make a living blogging. That is
1: <laughs> that's, That was the age that I came into the online space. And yeah. that's what the like, everything was how to make money blogging, which like, I don't think anyone really talks about that anymore. Not in the same way, at least. But it was, how do you make money blogging? How do you turn your blog into a business? I mean, that was what my mindset was, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you do this? Um, so that was definitely where that came from, because that's exactly the the narrative that was really being pushed when I started my business.
0: Yeah, I feel like there was this shift from everyone wants to create content, so let's figure out how to monetize that content. And then I feel like around maybe like 2019, 2020, the switch flipped and it was like, well, creating content, like stop doing things for free, stop giving things away for free, charge as much money as you can and like do as little work on the front end as possible. And so I guess as someone in the content space during that shift, obviously you focus on simplifying marketing and making marketing digestible. How did you experience that shift in, I guess, like the online business culture when your entire kind of business identity was around creating content that apparently no one wants to create anymore?
1: You know, it's interesting because I've just always been so pro. You've got to put high quality content out there because marketing is relationship based, let's be real. Mm-hmm. And now, where we're at here in 2023, that's more true than it ever has been because we are all, let's be real, we're being really intentional about every investment we're making right now. And who are we buying from? We're buying from the people we have a relationship with in some way, shape, or form. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think most of the people that I work with and that I have worked with since 2020, they never really went through that. Let's stop creating content phase. It was the opposite. Honestly, it was what are best practices and how do I meet those? And so I've always had to be like, Hey, best practices don't matter. What's sustainable for you? What can be consistent, right? Let's put out just enough content to be consistent so that you have time to put out quality content. Because that's really what it comes down to, whether you're someone who's putting out too much or you're in the opposite spectrum where you're like, I don't want to put any out at all. I'm only going to charge for things. You've got to put some kind of content out. And what you do put out, you want it to be high quality because, and I think this may be why Pinterest education maybe had a downfall was there were so much bad content out there that when you would do those searches on Pinterest, you would come across stuff and you'd be like, that told me literally nothing. And I just like, I can remember opening like, I'd go through Pinterest and type in something and I'd open like 20 different blog posts. And then I would just go through and look at them and I would get rid of like all but three that I would actually learn from. And so I think Mm -hmm. that probably caused that shift of like, well, we don't, we don't need to keep going to Pinterest if it's not going to be worth our time. But High quality blog posts, high quality content does so much for your business.
0: Mm-hmm, I feel like I just
1: went on a tangent. I don't know if I actually answered your question. This
0: whole podcast is a tangent. <laughs> don't even like worry about it because <laughs> I'm about to go on a different tangent. Perfect. Um, where I think like a w- after a while, everything on Pinterest started to sound like regurgitated versions of the same content and it almost feels like looking back at it, like it was written by AI. It was like, okay, here's six posts that other people have written, copy, paste, shuffle it around and like spit out something quote unquote new. We are on my team right now working on kind of like a chat GPT experiment. I think by the time this episode comes out, the like case study about it will be out. But basically I put a content idea into chat GPT and I was like, give me, and then I listed out like a week's worth of what we create, kind of the same process that we do with our podcast and then blog post, et cetera. And it felt like I was reading regurgitated Pinterest, BS. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, if this is the future of content, like, oh no.
1: <laughs> I It's interesting because of the people that I've talked to, which of course is a very small sample size, it doesn't seem like most people are leaning super heavily into it for all of their content, um, mm-hmm. which is nice because I did I that was my biggest worry when it first got really big where it was like, oh, Chat GPT, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, but if we're all just saying the same thing, one, what does that do for your SEO on your website? And two, what's the point? If you don't have something to say, yeah. why are you putting the content out there?
0: Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I've noticed as like working on this experiment so much was that like, I came up with a list, I looked at my content plan and I was like, which week can I use for this? And I was like, well, I have a really specific point of view on this or I have something that I wanna say on that. Or like, I don't have a traditional view on this. So like, how do I pick something that is generic enough for AI to be able to do? And then it's like, well, what's the point of doing that when that's like the opposite of kind of everything? I stand for so it's been really interesting to go through but I think that as a lot of business owners maybe have like this fear that if the expectation becomes use AI to create more content you don't want to be behind that curve and I think that I've experienced more FOMO when it comes to like AI and content marketing than I normally do in business because I'm just like (laughs) I don't have the bandwidth to do more by myself And I'm sure a lot of your clients kind of come to you in that same space. Absolutely. So do you feel like you spend a lot of time, I guess, with your clients reminding them that they don't have to have FOMO?
1: (laughs) That and that they don't have to do as much as they think Mm -hmm. they do. I feel like that's the most constant refrain. And I say it to the same people over and over and over again. Um, I think it's just a good reminder that we all – I need it too. Let's be Mm -hmm. honest. Like I need that reminder of – you don't have to do so much. It's okay to do less. Better high quality marketing is so much better for your business than just a bunch of marketing.
0: Yeah. Especially because at the end of the day, like you're not a content creator, you're a business owner. Like you got other shit to do.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Your marketing is part of your business, but it's not your entire business, right? Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, So speaking of other shit, uh, you wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) I did. So can you talk a little bit about? what your book is about, why you decided to write a book and what that, what your approach to, I guess that process has been.
1: Yeah. So I decided to write it for a couple of different reasons. Um, One, because I just had always wanted to write a book. I'm a huge I mean, you can see like, I just have, (laughs) this is the smallest fraction of books that I own. We, My husband and I both are just avid readers. And so part of me had always wanted to write a book. I thought I was going to write a fiction book, though. So joke's on me. <laughs> and now I can't I can't fathom that. That's definitely not in my wheelhouse. But young Amanda definitely thought I was going to write a fiction book. But <laughs> that was part of it. And then part of it was also, and this is so ridiculous, but I was like, I want to be published before I'm 30. And my 30th birthday is this, it's the day the book launches, actually. Was um, that on so, purpose? Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was like, I'm going to give myself as much time as possible, but by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be published. So that was like a very, it's a goal, but it's not a great goal if we're being real honest, Um, but it's there. But the reason I wanted to write this book in particular, Chasing Zimble Marketing, is because I, like I mentioned earlier, was that person who didn't plan to start a business. I thought I was going to be teaching forever. I had no idea that this was going to be my my journey in life. And once I did start my business, I had no idea what I was doing. And I spent a year trying to figure out marketing. And that's a year that I could have shortcut and actually been growing the business further. Right. And it was a lot to learn marketing, it was a lot to figure out. And there, there was a lot of emotional highs and lows with that. Uh, these launches that I did that in hindsight performed so well, and the conversion rates, you know, I, 30% conversion rate, which is incredible. I had terrible expectations. And so I wanted to write this book for the people that were me, baby entrepreneur Amanda, right? I, I, want, I wanted to write a book that was going to explain marketing, what it is, how you use it, the different aspects of it, and not only that, but how you use the different aspects of it within where you are in your entrepreneurship journey because not every marketing strategy is meant mm-hmm. for every place in business. And so I wanted basically a crash course in here's what marketing is and here's how you can use it to leverage it for your business in the simplest ways so that you can save time and not spend all of your time marketing. So it's just for that that accidental entrepreneur really that didn't anticipate it didn't end up getting an MPA And they've found their self going, how do I run a business and how in the world do I market myself?
0: I love that. I think it's, I don't want to say similar. So I am also writing a book and I know deep down that our books are very different, but like to some degree, the approach of like your description Mm -hmm. kind of is in line with what I'm like doing also, like this idea of having an accessible Way to understand marketing. But the way that I've been trying to explain it is like giving that more high level, approachable view of like the jargony bullshit that you learn in grad school. But yeah, I definitely think it's like a needed book. And I also want to like, I want to write a book that I don't hate reading. And I think that sometimes when I read marketing books, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this too, you're just like, Get to the point already. Or like, why are you talking about this? Um, So I'm definitely excited to read your book and kind of get a feel for your approach to it because I know we're going to be very different. But yeah, I love the idea of having more women written marketing books out there.
1: I feel like books like ours are so important because like you said, you you read these other marketing books and they are not geared towards the online space at all. And they're not helpful Um, or they're very high level and they really don't tell you much of anything Mm -hmm. or they're very detailed, but they're too advanced. And so it sounds like what you're doing and what I also did was I wanted something that was going to be very applicable to this online space that was going to be easy to Mm -hmm. understand, but not just high level. It was going to be, here's what you need to know, but here's the nitty gritty of how you use this too. And then also geared specifically towards someone who is a solopreneur, who is maybe newer in business, or maybe they're farther along, but they're still doing most of their marketing themselves, and they still don't feel like they've got a grasp on it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think even just having a book that is cohesive and well-written from start to finish, like the bar is so low, but it's (laughs) going to be so valuable. Because I just think about like when I was in grad school, I would like take classes and they would assign three textbooks that had virtually the exact same outline and be like, why are there three different books? And it's like, well, you know, this author really mastered chapters one through three. And this author wrote a fantastic conclusion. And it's like, why can't one person just write a good book? Right. <laughs> Can we just, like, and I'm like those being intentionally vague. In. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you decided you wanted to write this book, you decided you wanted to be published before you turned 30, which I also definitely relate to. What was your approach to writing the book? Did you like give yourself, I'm going to do it in a month or I'm going to do this? Like, what was that process like for you to decide to do it, decide how to do it, and then like pressure yourself into actually finishing it? Because I know that's like stage I'm at where it's like, I got to start telling people or else it's just not happening.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I will say that my approach from the start was to tell as many people as early as possible because I knew that I would hold myself accountable mm-hmm. that way. Um and having set the launch date, I knew that I had like I had so long for each different phase, mm-hmm. right? Um and so telling people that it was coming and also saying when the launch date was right from the start, that was really what held me accountable. So I la- I had been thinking about it for 6 months to a year already but had taken no action. And then I was at pod fest in may of 2022 and one of the lunch and learns they had was all about how to self-publish and i was like oh let me go let me go learn let like i keep saying i want to do this let me go figure this out and it was so helpful it was absolutely incredible um i learned so much and they made it seem simple not easy but mm-hmm. simple right and i Right then and there, I was like, all right, I'm doing this. Next July, it's going to launch on my birthday. Here we go, which, you know, apparently is the worst month of the year and it's a Wednesday <laughs> instead of a Tuesday and all of this stuff. But
0: it's the day you like birthday, yeah. So we're
1: going with it. Right. You know, and I don't plan to make the best seller list anyway. So whatever. Um, but I decided then that I was going to do it. And then I spent a few months lollygagging, really. And like, mind mapping and brain dumping and just really giving myself space is really what I was doing to make sure I had all of the different things that I knew in one spot. Because I mean, when you're taking your entire marketing ecosystem and like having to put it into something cohesive, that's a lot. So I did that. And then last August, I booked an Airbnb for a week and I went and I wrote the entire Mm -hmm. manuscript. Almost there was like one chapter left, but almost the entire manuscript in that one week. I, my brain works best mm-hmm. that way. I know some people work best if they do like 30 minutes a day for a month. I Absolutely just, I needed not. to go away. <laughs> be done. Like I needed to not have cats that were begging for attention at my door and not have to pick up after myself. And I like, I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to do mm-hmm. anything. I just wanted to be able to go right. So I did that. And then, um, from there, it's just been like a steady chipping away at all of the things that needed to get done. I, hired a copy editor and a content editor so that, you know, I had someone who was like, this is the flow and here's what I suggest and all of that stuff. And then I also had someone go in and do all the grammar <clears> stuff in structure. Um, And so I've outsourced things along the way, cover design. I just actually got the final um, different versions back right before we got on this. So I'm really pumped about that. But I, yeah, outsourcing things has helped too, because that's allowed me to go, well, I have to have it to this person by Mm -hmm. this date. So work backwards from there. How long do I have?
0: When it came to, I guess, deciding to, there's a few things I want to touch on. Um, Not trying to make the bestsellers list, deciding to self-publish versus um, maybe like exploring a traditional publishing route. And then maybe a little bit out of left field, you know, choosing a more traditional medium, like a book, instead of doing what's like, quote unquote, easier and doing a course or a coaching program or something to give people access to that same amount of information, but for like, less work and more money on your part. So I guess starting the beginning, traditional versus self-published. Did you explore traditional publishing options or did you kind of know self-published from the start?
1: I did. So at that same conference that I went to where I went to the lunch and learn, there was also another speaker who talked about self-publishing versus traditional and he had done both of them. And I went in curious about the traditional because in case no one can tell, I am a perfectionist to my core. And so there was a large part of me that, was like, but I would be so much more official if I traditionally published. And I went into that leaning more towards trying to do that. And this guy really convinced me Mm -hmm. that that was not what I needed to do. I'm also a control freak, just being real honest. So when I learned that you would not have as much control over everything in the process, that really swayed me. And then also just hearing how much work it is to even get a publisher. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that, They don't really help with marketing. They put you in contact with people. Like the biggest thing a traditional publisher is going to do for you is give you the contacts that you need to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But I had, I already had editors that I knew Mm -hmm. and a cover designer. Like I had all of those people in my pocket. So I was like, you know, I don't think that's for me. I would do it and do all this extra work and not have as much control over my work just to have that like feather in my cap. Right, And so I really had to like take my ego down a notch and be like, you know what? Self-publishing is going to be just right for what I'm trying to do with this book and what I want out of it. And so that's why I went that route.
0: I think too with the idea of taking the ego out of it and going the self-publishing route is like, I read, I don't know, somewhere, maybe it was on TikTok, who knows, that it was like, you need a pretty decent ego to like decide that you're worth writing a book. And so like, do you really need the additional ego boost of like then pursuing the like more traditional publishing option or is your book important enough that it's more important for you to just get it out so that it can get to the people that it's for um Mm -hmm. and that's something I've been kind of exploring a lot lately just with myself is because I'm also kind of a perfectionist and I'm like well if I'm gonna do it I gotta do it all the way but if I'm gonna do it all the way I'm probably not gonna do it so (laughs) I should just self-publish
1: and that's such a good point too because I don't have a large audience. Mm-hmm. Like I I have a great-sized audience and I'm, you know, I've got a full-time business. They, mm-hmm. You know, like my business supports me. Um, But I don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of audience members. And that's kind of what traditional publishers are looking for at this point. Yeah. And so it really came down to, is it worth the time that it's going to take to try to sign with a publisher versus... I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I know I can do it myself. I, I know I can manage the project. I know I can do the work. So is it even worth the time or should I just do it? And so it kind of goes back to what you just said of just get it out there and get it to the people that you're writing it for.
0: Definitely. Speaking of, I guess, then audience size and the people that you're writing it for, you said like, you know, I'm not trying to be like on the bestseller list, whatever. Is there still like a part of you that's like, but what if it just totally pops off and that happens? Like, I sometimes feel like you can get so specific with the like targeting for bestseller lists that like maybe you could do it. Who knows? Do you just like try not to think about it though? Or is it maybe like a secret goal that you could try to pursue?
1: I don't know if I would say it's a goal, but I'm also at the same time. I'm not actively pursuing it, but I'm not not actively pursuing right. it.
0: I don't know if that really makes sense. Like you're you're giving it the old college try. You're you're doing your best.
1: <laughs> yes, and like I'm doing my best to launch this book to the best of my capacity. Mm. Right? Is there realistically a lot more that I could do to try to increase the chances of getting some kind of like bestseller thing? Yes, but what I've learned over all these years of marketing, is really managing expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the realistic look is that it would be incredible to be able to say I made a bestseller list, right? But I'm not writing this book to make money off of this mm-hmm. book. You know, it is a a marketing tool, essentially, for me to use when I go speak places, to be able to build further relationships with people, and it's it's a tool for my business is really what it is, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of gets into the other question you asked. But I'm taking a realistic look at it. Of I'm trying to do what I can to launch it to as many people as possible, right? Like I'm gonna have a launch team. I'm working my way through trying to get on as many podcasts as I can to talk about it and share about it. If we're being realistic, like I'm I'm doing everything I can to market mm-hmm. it well. And there's for sure, again, that ego, like there's always part of me that's like, but it would be cool, Mm -hmm. but I'm not focusing on it. And I'm not sitting here researching, how do I make the bestseller list?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I had another guest on the pod earlier this season and actually one of my clients, she's written two books. I think she's working on a third and the first two like made bestseller lists. And even she was like, you don't write a book to make money. Like, Mm -hmm. You write a book so that you can say what you want to say, how you want to say it. And whatever happens from there is like the result of other stuff. Um, And I think that's been a really helpful perspective to have, like to have for myself. And then also just like to get to write long-form content that's not optimized for SEO. Like that must have been fun, right? To not have to worry about keywords and just do what you want to do. (laughs) All that matters is the message.
1: Yeah. It 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 is nice, and I I do enjoy writing. Even though I host the podcast, writing has always been my first love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it, it was nice just to get to do it. I hated editing; it was the worst. <laughs> um, which okay, let me say this because I I have always heard authors say that they hated editing, and I didn't realize why until I got to the editing process myself. So let me not leave people hanging like that. Um. <laughs> It takes so long to self-edit or not even to self-edit. I had editors, right? It takes so long to edit because you have to tear every chapter completely apart and rewrite it, Mm -hmm. but you're not starting from nothing, which was easier, honestly, for me to start from just an outline and write a whole chapter than it was to take it apart and rebuild it into something 10 times better. So I did not leave myself enough time for editing. Next book, I will. I know better. Um, But for anyone else curious about writing, give yourself more time for editing than you think you're going to need.
0: That's actually really good to keep in mind because I know like when I was in college, I loved writing. I never took writing classes or pursued writing in any way that way. But like as a sociology major, major, Mm -hmm. you write a lot. And I would always edit my papers with my dad. I would send them to him and have him read them. And he would like line by line be like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And it was great because like he doesn't hold back. But also he knew nothing about what I was talking about. So it was like the perfect way for me to make sure that I was being clear. And then when I stopped writing for school and was just writing for work, I was like, well, I don't need to go through this blog post line by line and make sure that my non-marketing, non-business father can understand it. I can just kind of like write and hope for the best so I kind of forgot what it, what editing was like. And that's good to remember that like, it's a process.
1: Well, and editing a book is vastly different than editing school papers. Cause same thing. I was, that's why I was so flippant about it. Cause I was like, oh, I've done this a hundred <laughs> times. Like no big deal. Editing always takes a fraction of the time than writing. The writing's always been the longest. So I was like, I wrote it in a week. I can definitely edit it all in two weeks. No problem. No That was not the case. (laughs) Um, It took me like four times as long to edit as it did to write. So it's it's just a different beast. And it's really hard to explain it other than you literally tear it completely apart and rewrite the whole dang thing.
0: Right. How does that – like how do you approach that? So it's like you, your editor, and your manuscript. Do you go like sentence by sentence, try it over? Or like how – I know you just said it's hard to explain, but, like, try.
1: (laughs) So nitty-gritty of what the editing looked like. So I did – I had beta readers go through it first. And I think I had, like, 10 to 15 beta readers. And they all left comments Mm -hmm. um, in a Word doc. They each got their own separate Word doc with the manuscript. And they each left comments. And then I had my VA put all of those comments into my main file. Bless her heart for that. Um, because there was a lot. And then I sent that off to my content editor. And she went through and she was really just like, This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Explain this a little bit more. This is missing. Um, this flow could use some more, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. She wasn't going, I mean, she was reading the whole thing, but she wasn't like line by line looking at sentence structure right. really or anything like that. Um, and so then she left a ton of comments, and I had this whole stack of paper from her. And so I was going through chapter by chapter and working my way down each individual mm-hmm. comment. But what ended up happening a lot of times is, you know, someone would make a comment up here and then there'd be another comment down here. And I'd be like, oh, but if I rearrange everything, these will make sense. Right. And there's just a lot of moving pieces and, oh, I have to add this whole thing. I ended up adding an entire new section to the book after beta readers and my editor had gone through it because based on the feedback that I had within and things that they felt like were missing, it was like, well, I really should talk about this Mm -hmm. thing. And then it ended up being an entire new section or like chapters got all moved around. All Like my beta readers, the the book that they're going to get later is not the book (laughs) they read originally. (laughs) It's totally different.
0: Um, I was recently a beta reader for another person who'd written a book but it was like the beta reader for edits to the third edition like it was a like on and on and on um so like it was already a solid book and then most of our job was like so you referenced something we talked about in chapter 13 but we're on chapter two (laughs) like little stuff like that um so I couldn't even imagine doing that for a book for the first time but that's definitely good to good to keep in mind um,
1: Give yourself more time than you think, for sure.
0: Well, I, I'm glad I'm thinking about this and thinking about doing it before my 30th birthday, before I turn 28. Like I've got a little bit more time than- That time, yeah. yep. I started thinking yep. like, ooh, maybe I'll try to do it before I turn 29. No, it sounds like 30 is the, the right amount of time to get all this <laughs> done. So moving away a little bit from the book and back more into- just like the kinds of work that you do with your clients. Um, Something we talked about before scheduling this podcast was talking about the different stages of business and how simplifying marketing can show up differently in each of those stages. So can you maybe talk through some of the similarities or differences between like working with a client who's in that early stage of business versus working with a client who's been doing this forever and has a ton of content and is kind of like, just looking for a new way to approach it.
1: Absolutely. So it's funny because this actually this ties in perfectly because this is the whole new section of the book okay. that I added. Um, was three different chapters on the three phases of the business journey. And so you've got the content creator phase, the foundation builder phase, and then the established entrepreneur phase. And so in the content creator phase, and not everyone goes through this because some people truly do start their business knowing they're going to start a business. And so some people skip this phase, but this is the phase where you are kind of just playing around. Maybe you are like me and you're like, I'm going to start a blog and I want to turn it into a business. Or maybe you're like one of my clients who started a YouTube channel years ago, had no intentions of turning it into a business. It was just a hobby. And now she's got this six figure business because she did that years ago. Uh, But in this phase, you're really just focusing on getting that content out there and figuring out what your messaging is. And a lot of times that means getting really messy with it, throwing spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks, talk about different things. Often in this phase, you want to, because you want to see more professional, right? You you want people to look at you and go, they know what they're doing. Um, but in reality, you need this phase to be messy, mm-hmm. to figure out where it is that you're going. I mean, look at me, I I started on a totally different subject. And while the simplicity has continued to bleed through everything that I've done, what I'm talking about now is drastically different than what I thought mm-hmm. that my business was going to be. And without that content creator getting messy with it phase and really figuring out what those intersections of all of my different hobbies and gifts and favorite things without figuring out that intersection, I never would have landed on marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, Often a lot of times in this phase, people will say, well, I'm multi-passionate and that's, you know, they refuse to niche down, which is fine because at this point you don't necessarily like, you've got to figure that out. But that seems to be a common refrain of, well, I'm multi-passionate. So I'm going to talk about all the things and I'm going to, that that's like their stake in the sand of like niching is bad. And it's like, no, you're just not ready for it yet, to be honest. And that's fine. Um, Cause let's be real. If you're not multi-passionate, you're not an entrepreneur. Right. No one would choose to wear all of these hats if they weren't passionate about a lot of different things. You would just do one job and do it well.
0: I will say though that the idea of like, oh, I'm multi-passionate. I don't want to niche down. Like, I think that for me was what either kept me from entering or catapulted me out of the content creator phase because I was like, I don't want to create a bunch of content all about one thing. So I'm just going to not create any (laughs) content. And that was like my MO for a really long time was like, well, I don't want a niche, so I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but eventually,
1: yeah. even if you weren't creating content, you figured out what your niche is going to be. And it just takes time and like playing around in both your content and the back end of your business of like, where am I going with this? And how, what can I offer people? And how can I mm-hmm. help? Um, and so that phase is really just like, Put the content out there and don't worry so much about making sure that everything is perfect. Your goal is to figure out and start figuring out what that messaging Mm -hmm. is and what your little place in the internet world is going to be. And so then you move into the uh, foundation builder phase. And that's where you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I've I've got maybe even my first offer, like nailed down, figured out, and I'm going to continue to build up around it. So you've got that foundation and from there you've got to decide okay what what is my messaging deeply going to be like let's really nail down that messaging and start building out the value ladder of my business you know i've got my main offer okay do i have something that leads into it whether it's a freebie or a small offer i don't i don't know how many people are actually doing those now that facebook ads have gotten so wonky but
0: so total tangent but like I think the tiny offer and like the small whatever like they're popping off but it's not through Facebook ads interesting okay um I'm in a group uh I'm in a group on Facebook and someone is like putting together like this tiny offer summit thing and like they have a whole like arm of their business about like nine dollar and under offers um and it's this idea of like if it costs money, it's more valuable than an opt in, but it doesn't need to cost enough money to feel like it's gonna make you money to actually like benefit your business. So I do think that those like tiny offers and lead magnets and stuff are still super popular, but they're not showing up the way that I think we were kind of conditioned yeah. to believe that they would forever in like an s l o funnel
1: yes, okay, that's interesting. That's good to know um, I'm definitely not seeing them as much as I did, but it does also make sense, economy, the way it is. People are not going to want to invest in larger things. So a smaller ticket item makes yeah. sense to have.
0: Yeah, I think it's just showing up in different ways depending to on like what kind of business you have, what kind of business you're targeting. Like I feel like for a really long time, It was, if you have a service, you must pivot to having digital products and group coaching and all of this stuff, or else like you'll never make any money or be successful. And then once you have those like passive quote unquote like options, that's all you do. But now I think that there's a lot more hybrid of like done for you and templates and courses and this and that, and no one's going all in on any one thing. But I think it's a lot better for everyone like for the consumer and for the business owner because we get to have fun and they're like making an offer that's under 50 dollars is a blast yeah (laughs) it's so fun
1: (laughs) well and just having that variety and Mm -hmm. i mean different price points for different people and different levels of engagement for where people need Mm -hmm. different because some people want to buy a course and like they don't need you to talk to them. Some people want to have their handheld and have ongoing one-to-one access to you and be able to box you and all of that stuff. Um, So that's kind of what you're figuring out in the foundation stage though, is, okay, if I've got my main, my core offer, how can I walk it up and how can I walk it down and just get those like three base, like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I move people through. So for example, just for clarity's sake, My main core offer when I started doing the content side of things was a course on how to batch a month's worth of content in one week. And from there, I noticed that students were asking a lot of questions about strategy. And so I was like, well, maybe my one-to-one offer, my step up from a course is helping people create their own strategy for their marketing. Mm -hmm. And then my down, like moving down people who aren't yet ready for that Well, what I got a lot was I don't even have time to, like, I don't know what to say in my content, so I can't batch a month's worth of content. So I created Mm -hmm. a year's worth of content prompts. And so I've got these three different entry points for where different people are in their business. And that right there was the, okay, I've built my foundation. Once I've got those three things, that's the foundation of my business. I've got people who are stuck on the hamster wheel and they need to get off. I've got people who aren't even creating content because they have no idea where to even start. And then I've got people who are creating and they're off the hamster wheel, but they want to get more strategic so that they're selling better instead of just putting content out mm-hmm. there, um, which now that I'm saying that out loud actually aligns with those three different phases. So that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> it's almost like you did crazy. it on
0: purpose. No, I'm just
1: <laughs> figuring it out messy in the middle like everyone else. Um <laughs> It's funny the way that works though. But then after you've got the foundation builder phase, you move into that established entrepreneur where you've got your core offers and you're really just figuring out how to bring more people in, moving them through funnels that you're setting up, which, you know, love or hate funnels. They are important for making some of those more passive sales, but it's not the only thing we're doing moving them through those funnels though, and really focusing on growing that audience. So for the first two, the first phase, you are working on building a core audience. In the second phase, you are still working to an extent on bringing, I mean, you should always be bringing in new people, but you're also really focused on how do I nurture the people I have and really solidify my messaging. And then in the third phase, Mm -hmm. you're taking that messaging that you've solidified and broadcasting it to as many people as you can.
0: Amazing. I think like That whole what you just said right there is like absolutely chef's kiss. But what I do want to touch on is what you said about funnels, which is I think that's one of those words that we've overused to the point that it's like lost its meaning. Um, Because whenever I try to explain any type of marketing to someone, they're like, oh, a funnel. And I'm like, you tell me what a funnel is. Try. Try to tell me what a funnel is without using the word funnel it's more than that. And I think that that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're getting people from one offer to another. You're helping people go through your ecosystem and learn all of your stuff, but that's just like running a business. It's not this like copy paste situation. So I love how you're like, oh, love them or hate them. I'm like, I don't think that they're really like one thing. It's kind of like the same orifice concept that we've decided to like solidify for no reason.
1: It's true. And we've also overcomplicated them to the point where it's like, oh, well, I need to have this entire funnel created where people join an opt-in and then they're led through this welcome sequence. And then they're led through this nurture sequence. And then they're led through this sales sequence for this one product. And then they're put in another nurture sequence for a different offering and then a sales sequence for that offering. And it's like, what are we doing? Yeah, That is so overly complicated. And it seems like everyone wants, like that's what they want to try to create. It's like, just welcome them in and then stick them in your newsletter.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then let the newsletter send them into all of the other places or like let the content. Yeah. That kind of like self-driven journey through your like marketing, whatever. It's why it's a customer journey and not a customer straight line. It's like they've got choices, they've got agency, they've got, you know, all of that stuff. I was in an interview one time. And because this was like, maybe a year, actually, I think it was a year ago, almost to the day, I was like, what if I just got a full time job? Um, and I was in an interview, and I'd said something about, like, oh, like, I got my degree, my master's degree in 2020. She was like, oh, tell me what you learned about digital marketing funnels using Facebook ads and YouTube with UTM. Like, she was being so specific and jargony. She's like, tell me what you learned about that in your master's program. And I'm like, I didn't?
1: Like, master's (laughs) programs are not as up-to-date as all of this.
0: No. Like, first of all, it wasn't a digital marketing master's program. And second of all, like, you just learn that stuff by doing, and I understand all of the words that you're saying, but I don't have, like, my thesis wasn't on that. Like, what are you expecting from me? And I think it's just one of those, like, fancy words we like to use to feel smart. And that's my well, my reason I'm going to get canceled from this podcast episode.
1: <laughs> but it also goes back to the whole passive income craze mm-hmm. and we, we all wanted to create funnels cause that's how you actually made the money with the passive income. And it's like, well, I mean, sure. But like it, that's only really sustainable if you have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and are also able to bring in a huge number of followers at any given time. Cause a funnel is going to convert at 1% or less mm-hmm. And so in order to make a living sending people through those funnels, the math. Yeah,
0: Well, it's a combination (laughs) of the math and also like the more parts of a funnel you have and the more automation you have from bit to bit, the more you need to pay attention to how every piece of that funnel is converting and also how like, what are you saying in the funnel? Anytime I get more complicated than like two automations in ConvertKit, I wind up having to send apology emails because something got messed up. Um, Like I just- breaks every time. mm -hmm, I was just participating in a bundle where I had an upsell, but I accidentally like linked the upsell in a wrong part of the sequence. So like, instead of sending people to the product page for the thing they just bought, it sent them to a new sales page. And I was like, I still feel so bad that that happened because that's such a horrible customer experience. It's so manipulative, but really, I just like don't have great attention to detail when it comes to my own marketing. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think there's no such thing as passive income, and if there is, you're just like getting really lucky.
1: No, it's a it's a buzzword for sure. Like that, you can make money while you're doing other things. If we're gonna like sure that's passive but the amount you have to work outside of those other things yeah to make the money and to make sure you're sustaining making that money is a totally different conversation
0: yeah i think once it gets to be passive to a certain degree like if it's truly passive like whatever you're selling probably outdated and you should go in and check on that especially when we're selling like things related to online business and things related to programs and apps that are getting updated constantly with new algorithms or whatever so true. So yeah, at the end of <laughs> the end of that tangent, I would love to end on a little bit of your messy middle and see if there are any challenges that you've faced as you've grown or are growing your business that like totally came out of left field and how you handled that.
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many that I don't even know like <laughs> what to pick. I'll go with something that's recent since we talked so much about the book. Cool. Um the imposter syndrome that came with writing that comes, I'm I'm not out of it. Um, that comes with the whole book writing process has been drastically more intense than I ever anticipated or that I've ever experienced. And I mean. I have dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome in the last six years um, of running a business. But man, it's like every time you finish a step and you feel good about that step and you stop spending so much time with the piece of work, with the book, you go, wait, but is it actually? Like, am I gaslighting myself? <laughs> And then you like send it off to someone, man, they're going to hate it. They're going to think it's so bad. They're like, it's, why am I doing this? Why am I spending this money and this time to put this book out there? I don't think I have anything like worthwhile to say about it, but like just that that's happening and that I am in that messy middle right now. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot. And I, my book's written at this point, like the manuscript is done. Right. I still am dealing with like, but should I even launch it? But should, you know, obviously I am. (laughs) I am, but you just have those moments more often than I anticipated of who am I to write a book? Why did I think this was a good idea? No one's going to read this, you know, all of those fun thoughts.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel that. I feel a lot of imposter syndrome a lot of the time, and I'll be like nervous going onto a client call or nervous about to do something or like even nervous before like doing podcast interviews, I get so worried that it's going to be bad. And then like when it ends, I'm like, no, yeah, that was good. Of course it was good. I'm good at my job. I have to tell myself that all the time. Like you're allowed to be nervous. Being nervous is good, but it's going to go well because you're good at what you do. And that's like, yeah. you have to have that mantra going. But I think a little bit of imposter syndrome, as annoying as it can be, is kind of healthy. Um, yeah. Because I think so- that's normal
1: for sure. Yeah.
0: I think the latest like craze is like, oh, we should all do things with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if we should. I think I think more mediocre white men could use some imposter syndrome. Um, But yeah, I don't think it gets easier, but no, we should do it
1: scared.
0: Yeah, but but we should still do it. Prepare to Mm -hmm. do it scared. (laughs) Prepared and scared. I love that. I think that's going to be a new T-shirt. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all I have for you today. Thanks for an amazing conversation. Before we go, if you want to tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can give you money and what the details are about your book, um, that'll be a great way to close it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me. I'm the host of the podcast, Chasing Simple. And the book, you can either just go to Amazon and search for Chasing Simple Marketing, or you can go to amandawarfield.com slash book. And either depending on when this airs, pre-order your copy or go ahead and get that copy sent right to your door.
0: Awesome. I think we're airing around the end of June, so it should be still up for pre-order. pre If you're listening to this after the fact, then definitely go ahead and buy it. I know I'll be adding it to my friends who wrote books bookshelf, which I never thought that I would have, but apparently I do. Um, but it's the best so a bookshelf. That's cool. I have
1: one too, and it's great.
0: Yeah. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Amanda, for hanging out with me this afternoon. Uh, we'll see everyone again next week on another episode of Messy in the Middle. Bye.